The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. In this episode, I had the pleasure of having not one guest, but three. Nina Curtis is the new president of Women Chefs and Restauranters, also known as WCR, an active resource for women seeking to advance culinary education and gain recognition in various areas of the food and beverage industry. For this episode, Nina is joined by Chef Peggy Chan, founder of Grassroots Pantry, Hong Kong's leading meat-free eatery, and Berlin-based chef Sophia Hoffman, author of The Vegan Queen's Cookbook and host of The Vegan Queen's Podcast. Nina, Peggy, and Sophia were in New York in March 2018 for the International Women's Day Dinner hosted at the James Beard Foundation by WCR. Not only were all the chefs cooking for the event women, but all of the food was plant-based. This momentous dinner marked the second all-vegan dinner served at the James Beard Foundation and the first with all-female chefs. In this engaging and inspiring conversation, we discussed the experience of female chefs in the male-dominated restaurant industry. What drew each of my guests to plant-based cuisine? How they are working to fight stereotypes and change perceptions about vegan food in each of their countries? and strategies and advice for building a successful business and empowering other female leaders in the food industry. Nina, Peggy, and Sophia are changing the way the world defines chefs and plant-based food. Listen in to hear more about delicious food and a ton of world-changing ideas. Before we get into today's interview, I wanted to tell you about something I've been hooked on to lately. If you've listened to this podcast long enough, you've probably heard me talk about how functional foods or foods that offer health benefits beyond providing essential nutrients are a big trend that is here to stay. I personally got very interested in this subsegment of the food space about a year ago and started researching the benefits of a key ingredient in functional foods called adaptogens. Adaptogens are natural substances that help normalize your body's imbalances and have the ability to calm you down and boost your energy at the same time without being overstimulating. These substances are called adaptogens because of their unique ability to adapt their function according to your body's specific needs. They have been used for centuries in Eastern medicine and research shows that different types of adaptogenic herbs and mushrooms have incredible benefits for your brain, hormones, immune system, energy levels, and mood. 
I also learned that if you want to experience the functional benefits of adaptogens, they needed to be consumed on a fairly regular basis. The problem was, the products that I found either didn't taste great or weren't in a form I could consume conveniently. That's until I discovered a company called Forsigmatic. Forsigmatic makes adaptogenic mushroom coffees, elixirs, teas, and other superfood blends that taste really good. I usually drink their cordyceps elixir or cordyceps and shaga mushroom infused coffee in the morning and have a lion's mane mushroom elixir midday, sometimes even before podcast recordings. I find it just makes me more focused and clear without the unnecessary caffeine jitters followed by the inevitable crash. They also sell a delicious hot cacao with reishi mushrooms that is a great drink to wind down with after a long hectic day. But that's just some of their many mushroom infused products that they sell. All Four Sigmatic products are 100% vegan and their mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cacaos and mushroom coffees are USDA certified organic. I've enjoyed their products for months and I like it so much that I personally reached out to the guys at Four Sigmatic and told them that I wanted to help spread the word about their products. The company was started by an entrepreneur from Finland who was on a mission to make medicinal mushrooms more accessible to everyone. And since their products and brand was so aligned with what I'm doing here with the Eat for the Planet movement, they were excited to offer listeners of this show 15% off all their products. To try them yourself, just go to foursigmatic.com/eatfortheplanet. The URL is foursigmatic that's f o u r s i g m a t i c.com/eatfortheplanet and you get 15% off all their products. You can also find that link in the show description and in the show notes. Nina, Peggy, and Sophia, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks so much. So I'm um, really excited um, to have three of you, three chefs uh, from across the world, who are right. here assembled together um, to have this amazing conversation. I'm not only excited about that, but excited because I strongly believe that the future of food is plant-based. And I'm also starting to believe that women are going to play an even bigger role in that future as leaders, not just of, um, as leaders of restaurants, but as packaged food businesses, as well, as well as as advocates. And most are going to do all three. Um, so we have a lot to talk about today. I want to start off with, at a pretty high level and ask uh, each one of you to talk about what got you into plant-based food to begin with and how did it is that plant-based food became not just your profession, but uh, your mission. Do you want to start? No, I would love you to. You're the guest. <laughs> Sophia. So we can recognize yeah. the voices. Yeah, yeah so uh, my name is Sophia Hoffman. Um, I came from Berlin, Germany uh, yesterday. And um, yeah, it's a... It's a how much time do you have? <laughs> so for me, I, I started cooking professionally only like six, seven years ago. I mean, I worked, I'm, I'm a self-taught mm -hmm. chef. I worked in gastronomy since um, I was 17, like on and off in jobs, in kitchens. But I also did a lot of other things. And the fun fact is I, for a long uh, time, I worked in nightlife. I worked as a DJ and party promoter and had quite a unhealthy lifestyle I would say and I tried to balance that out with like more and more healthy diet so that was part of the beginning into that direction and then at some point I slowly turned myself into a vegetarian 
And at some point I became vegan. And it was, of course, like more and more reading about these topics, getting more conscious about sustainability, about the environment, um, as well as ethical and health reasons. And that just went along with my journey into uh, cooking more and more. And uh, yeah, and my, my personal ways, like I started my blog in 2011, but at the same time started to do events, started to work in restaurants again. Um, I released two cookbooks. I do a podcast. I do a lot of social media stuff. So I'm more like the wandering chef. And um, and through this social media output, I try to give a positive message in that field. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, my name's Peggy and I'm from Hong Kong. Um, I opened Grassroots Pantry about six years ago. Uh, how did I get into plant-based cooking? Actually, I was classically trained um, when I was 18. But previous to that, uh, I started eating uh, or eliminating red meat when I was 16 through a very cathartic experience. And I just decided that I didn't want to consume any animals that were mammals or had four feet and eyes and uh, a mind of its own. So then from there on, uh, after I had graduated from classical French training at Cordon Bleu, um, I got out and started reading a lot of books. And uh, one of the articles that I read was on Gourmet magazine. It was an April issue uh, in 2005. And they mentioned uh, that article highlighted uh, the issues of uh, GMO and uh, the company Monsanto. And that was a, one of the first things that I've read that really uh, ignited uh, a flame inside me that really wanted to find out what was going on with our food system and uh, behind the politics behind it. And so through there, I did a lot of research and then throughout school in Switzerland as well, I uh, did a lot of research and writing and reports on uh, sustainable agriculture, uh, why organic, why we need to move the industry to organic and uh, lessen our consumption of GMOs or boycott it. Um, so that's how I kind of got into it and slowly... I mean, I was vegetarian for quite some time by now, and uh, then I decided that um, it was just a better choice uh, for the for for the planet in general. Um, so, having been surrounded by a lot of chefs who uh, are as classically trained as I was, um, I think it's in my duty to be able to get our colleagues, our comrades of the trade to start thinking and shifting their menus a little bit um, in order to all be a part of this um, advocacy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And Nina. Nina Curtis from California representing, and I started at eight with my mom cooking because I'm the eldest of four, not vegan, but healthy. My mom had her own garden in the backyard. She was going to the store and getting little bags of nuts, and it was organic before organic was in, and if we didn't have tomatoes in the salad that night, you didn't ask because the worms got them, and <laughs> she was already upset, so you don't ask her why we're missing tomatoes. My dad's classically trained, and uh, as a kid, when you were doing free labor, hi, Dad, um, <laughs> you're thinking, I'm not going to do this. You don't make any money in a career. And I actually went into beauty, wellness, skincare, aromatherapy, and that is a big part of what I've done for many years and traveled the world teaching. And people would say, well, what, you know, what do you do for your skin? And I'm like, it's what you eat. And I it really didn't. Mm -hmm. Yes, it registered, but it didn't, and I was still... <laughs> 
eating meat. Now it's been 18 years, I'm vegan, but I was bodybuilding naturally. And my body stopped wanting animal protein and it just stopped. And when I'd look at something, when you get nauseous, you're like, well, wait a minute. So red meat was already going away. And then when it got to the chicken, I was like, well, there's salmon. And then when the salmon didn't like me, you know, we had to break up. It was like dating somebody and you yeah. just know it's not any good. So I just, as I do the personality I am, I just dove in. I, mm -hmm. I dove in hard because I went raw vegan three years. I was vegetarian. And then I thought, what's the point? <laughs> you know, I, I didn't drink milk. It gave me eczema when I was little. Eggs, I was like, I can do without. And I had a palate my parents had, you know, given me, I guess, through the flavors. My dad was always testing. Hi, dad. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you had to say, yeah, that's good. <laughs> if you wanted to stay in his house. So, yeah, I, I went raw vegan three years. And I think that really ignited. And my performance in bodybuilding and winning competitions, you know, I'm talking not fitness competitions. I'm talking fitness Muscle Beach, mm. hardcore, barefoot, wow, posing. <laughs> Don't and, mess with that. <laughs> you know, donkey calf raising 800 pounds. So my <laughs> coaches were always like, let's push this a little. And I was like, only natural, only wow. natural. And, and I didn't look back. But cooking for people, you know, I think as a, I'll speak for myself, as a chef, mm -hmm. I felt, as um, I've also gone to two culinary schools, one that specialized in raw vegan living like culinary in Port California and then here at the Natural Gourmet Culinary Institute I wanted to balance it yeah so I love eating I know I vibrate the best on a raw vegan diet and I've traveled all over the world Australia China mm -hmm. and could do it you just had to look for it you know so when people say oh it's so hard I'm like no it's not <laughs> no it's not if you have a, a mission so where I'm at now I, I've been an executive chef at a private retreat in Malibu that was all plant-based we had our own garden mm. and that was awesome to reverse it if you will and, and work with the master gardener farmer and decide from the menu mm -hmm. what we plant mm -hmm. and that was a beautiful experience to doing pop-ups and then uh, curating this dinner with these great women because I'm in girl power <laughs> and uh, I've got you know women in my family that it's it's nothing you can't accomplish. Yeah. So my mission is to show people, as I would say when I was an executive chef, I'm not trying to make you become who I am, but I am pushing mm -hmm. vegetables and fruit on the plate. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Each of you has such a unique background and journey that led you to where you are today. Um, I want to pick up on something that Peggy mentioned, though, as in your responsibility as a chef. Um, I said this to you before, so you've heard this, that um, I think chefs, are, um, you know, have superpowers um, because they do things that I can't and your models can't. Um, but I think more importantly, it's a superpower because you're able to take something as simple as a vegetable um, or a combination of vegetables and turn that into something that can not just change someone's perception of food and change their experience with food, but open this portal where they can change the way the way they even view the world. Because, um, you know, if you explain to them, this is where the food came from, and this is why it is all plant based, you're then now just opening an opportunity for them to dip, dive deeper and sure. learn the things that we have all learned about how inherently food is tied to everything that's wrong with our world today. So as chefs, Going back to your point, um, what do you think is your responsibility 
as a chef in that position with that superpower to not only create the best dishes with the best ingredients and the best flavors, but also educate other chefs and people about what's in their food. But I mean, that's exactly what it is. I think what you just said is it is our responsibility to, first of all, educate our community on, you know, giving them an alternative to meat dishes uh, and showing them that vegan vegetarian can be just as creative and delicious. That's one side. But after a few years of running grassroots, I realized that I can only do so much on my own. We need to get the industry, whether you're manufacturers, farmers, you know, uh, whoever it is, wholesalers, chefs, we need to all get on board. And even as government, we all need, need to get on board together to change the way the system has been running for the couple of past decades. So that's why I think uh, the responsibility lies on all of us as chefs. Um, it's not just a trade anymore. Mm. I mean, it's so easy to have media put us on this pedestal of celebrity chefs. So it's great. It's wonderful. Um, and I think a lot of the duty comes within media as mm -hmm. well. And uh, so chefs, we can actually leverage um, that kind of popularity and that kind of noise through our voices, through the media, like yourselves. So I think that's what I, yeah, support. I would, I would add, because I've, as you said before, we all doing, like we all come from complete different, or like complete different, but different backgrounds. And I found it super interesting because I'm doing more like social media work you know, some call it influencer, blogger, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm, as I said, I try to push that on my social media and on my podcast, like sustainability is also a big topic in that context. And like the second season of my podcast was the, the like the title was sustainable, sustainable businesses, basically like uh, women that I, actually it's only women that I uh, invite. It's like a, um, yeah, kind of sexist in that way podcast. So I want to feature them anyways uh, about that later. So, um, yeah, and I, I feel also I sometimes work as a food consultant and I work a lot with companies trying to help them develop vegan recipes and stuff like that. And I can see um, that there's changes happening, that the industry is also starting to be interested in that and realize that they need to change certain things and they want more like plant-based solutions and i i think that's a good thing yeah yeah do you think vegan or plant-based chefs are looked down upon um by a certain segment of the celebrity chef population is oh, that still a definitely. thing mm -hmm. yeah i'm like it's like oh well, you steam still... some vegetables or you <laughs> cut used some... to <laughs> yeah, right i mean I, I think that's the part that you know is interesting when you think about our responsibility or just the fact that most of the people i cook for are not vegan mm -hmm. they want meatless monday or they want their children to have that experience so i've found myself lately of people wanting to have good food healthy food it's got to taste great it's got to have the flavor it's got to have the texture and if you can take a carrot and make it taste three different ways by the way you cut it or grate it or you know put it in a food processor and i can take carrots and turn it into almost a salmon based on what flavors I put with it, I think that blows people's minds. And I think that's also in our professional industry, you know, we go to school, we learn a classical way. You're like, I just spent all this money all these years. And there's a 
fear factor, I think, to a degree, that now you're going to pull the rug from up under me and I have to relearn, and that isn't mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to relearn. You already know so much. I will take sunflower seeds, soak them overnight, and then my mother, I think about the tuna she used to make on Wonder Bread, you know, put it between that, and I just deconstruct it. Yeah. Because I have all the elements there that I've always known. It's just... And it's liberating to me because if you're like a mad scientist or an artist, why I think one of the things in the restaurant, if I make another, you know, muffin mm -hmm. when I'm in the bakery, it's like, how boring. Mm -hmm. So you look at our repetition in the kitchen and this just opens up so many avenues of creativity and excitement. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think it... Yeah, go ahead, Sophia. Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to add, I don't know, I probably, I guess you, you also have that a lot in the US, but in Germany especially, it's quite um, a thing. Is like, I call it like the substitute uh, prejudice, I would say, <laughs> you know, that everybody basically thinks uh, if you do plant-based cooking or if you're vegan, you just eat like tofu steaks every day and that's yeah. just it, you know, and it's just substitutes and you just substitute everything. And as you mentioned, you know, it's so much about, you know, just plant-based ingredients like sunflower seeds or whatever or carrots that you can turn into something and um yeah i don't know and that's just um i i i, I don't know about uh, the us but i can feel also as a cookbook author like half of that time i have to talk about these prejudices and it's mm. so tiring sometimes <laughs> because it's like you vegans you do this yeah. this is that you know and it's like yeah One would assume we are past that at this point. I mean, I think the stage we are in in 2018, that's the year we're in now. Um, I think chefs, um, generally all chefs, should be having a bit of a wake up, uh, waking up moment when it comes to their food because the, the facts are not hidden about what is happening with our food system. Um, the fact that, you know, animal agriculture, I mean, I can spew all kinds of facts. We don't need to do that right now. The bottom line is that we're going to be in a pretty terrible place uh, a few decades from now if we don't do something about this. Mm -hmm. uh, when I say about this, I mean about the food that we're eating. And if chefs are the trendsetters, the tastemakers, they are the ones who are defining the flavors of the future. And they are not thinking about the incredible toll that the meat, dairy, and eggs that they use in their dishes are taking on the environment and not at least making an attempt to minimize their use. I mean, no one's telling everyone to be 100% plant-based, but minimize their use or go plant-forward. I think they're being irresponsible, frankly. And it surprises me that that's not a conversation that, that seems to be happening out there, at least at the scale that it should be. Well, just from, uh, I mean, I think... If you want change, you have to surround yourself with people with like-mindedness and also try to influence others who aren't there yet. Mm -hmm. So when I when the restaurant opened, I didn't focus on targeting the people who were already vegans and vegetarians yeah. because mm -hmm. I wanted the rest of the 99% who weren't to start thinking about it because that 1% is already switched on, you know? Yeah. It's the same as really inspiring and persuading chefs as you said to be more responsible and to raise awareness on their own and to do the research on their own um, the chefs that i've collaborated with on the collective's table which is our um, pop-up initiative to challenge chefs of the industry um, to cook plant-based they have all been so open-minded 
They're classically trained. They're Michelin star chefs everywhere. They're best female chef of uh, Asia, uh, the world's best restaurants. They're very open-minded to it. And when they come into our kitchen and see all the things that we're doing, culturing, soaking, sprouting, making raw foods here and there, and making pepperoni using raw vegetables, using a dehydration process, mm. those are the things that they're they're opening, it's opening their eyes to the, the, this mad scientist effect of, wow, this can all happen without any meat, egg, dairy whatsoever. Um, I think people are interested and keep them interested that way. Uh, it's so much fun for us. I think for me personally, I love just creating and that's a process that I, I just, you know, love to play around and mimic and create, uh, similar textures and flavors to me. Yeah. Nina, any other thoughts on that? No, I think what um, Peggy says and, and Sophia have said is so true. You have to show people that it's really easy and that it's mm -hmm. exciting. Uh, and I think in, you know, in the restaurant industry, we have protocol and we have processes and we're moving fast and it has to be you know, equitable and it has to make money. And yeah. if they think they're going to put out and have to put out a lot of money and then not use something. So you've got to go in. I think anytime I've gone in and looked at a situation where I'm adding something to their menu, I quickly identify what they already have and then say, let's do this, but we're going to use this ingredient. Because right. the fact of the matter, the thing that separates or makes or differentiates, if you will, me as a plant-based chef from a chef that may use meat are the ingredients. Yeah. And as Peggy said, she's making a Reuben, you know, mm -hmm. and using vegetables. And what does that mean? The ingredients or the flavoring. The flavoring mm -hmm. has to be there yeah. so someone can detect that in the brain. So when I make a lasagna for guests and zucchini is the noodle, I got to get that zucchini to that same width. So that texture and then I am dehydrating it and I'm salting it to bring out the moisture so it has more of a meaty taste than someone just taking raw zucchini and layering some macadamia nut cheese through it mm -hmm. and someone going, but something's missing. Yeah. You've got to get all the, you know, yeah. the snaps yeah. going in the brain. That it almost takes more creativity. You are kind of like a mad scientist having to Definitely. reverse engineer yeah. things that, you know, I think some other chefs probably just take for granted. But that you... keeps you up at night, makes you up <laughs> in the middle of the night, <laughs> puts you on red eyes. That's that's why I'm saying you have superpowers that I think traditional chefs don't have, which is, you know, you're able to even go that extra mile because you're so focused on trying to not just prove, but to prove and then elevate this cuisine to a level where it becomes even beyond what you would get in a, you know, a traditional a fine dining restaurant that serves meat uh, and where meat becomes kind of um, predictable while yeah. these dishes have the ability to not only hit all those taste uh, buds but um, kind of take it to a level you've never tasted something before yeah. so um, and it is an art and a science you know it yeah. is it is really something I think you have to be passionate about and I think of myself as that artist you know in the plate is my canvas yeah. and how many different paints of color I have to work with. And you get into dehydrating vegetables and then having all these beautiful color uh, powders mm -hmm. that we can grind down and use dust. And I mean, it is magical. Yeah. And you know, yeah. I, I think what you're all saying is that, which I think is amazing is that you are taking the responsibility to, to spread the word through your food, through your conversations with chefs that may not be plant-based or open to the idea. So 
you know, instead of focusing on the problem, you're actively working on the solution. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're not the solution, <laughs> you are the problem. problem. Right. <laughs> Sorry. So let's talk about another problem. I'm gonna I'm gonna go off into another direction now and talk about a problem that <clears throat> we have to bring up, um, which is women chefs have traditionally not gotten the recognition um, or the respect of their male counterparts. I'm going to ask you generally, what do you think are the causes for it? There, there are many, I know, but um, <laughs> I'm going to have you tell me that. <laughs> I'll start off. I, I, I was just talking to um, my Lyft driver. Because, <laughs> you know, it's always a conversation piece when you say, and they get into, well, what do you do? And you go, chef, you can see him look in the rearview mirror. Like, <laughs> really? Really? You're a chef? And so many people don't understand the foundation of or I, I would say the split, you know, if you think about food history and who's been cooking the longest, it's been women. If you think about any well-known male chef and you ask the question, where'd you learn to cook? He never says his father, <laughs> my aunt, my grandma, my mom. I was on a stair. I was only two years old. I almost <laughs> fell in the grease. Um, so you look at that and then what happened you know, traditionally where men decided, well, we don't want to be seen domestically because that's feminizing something. So we're going to follow the military model. Mm -hmm. Yes, sergeant. Yes, chef. And when people start to realize the culture and the dynamics, so you walk now into this kitchen that has predominantly been turned into a club of sorts, mm -hmm. and that club has a certain looking person in it and a certain way they act. And it's like almost a fraternity. Mm -hmm. mm. So then you have a woman that says, no, I was brought up that I can do anything. I'm a superhero. You know, I walk in that kitchen, all of a sudden the dynamics get really crazy. Just the way the genders are different, mm -hmm. right? So, but if we look at history and we understand a bit of that, I had a, a situation where someone wrote a review on me and they said, oh, she was militant or not militant. She was military acting. And my boss was like, well, what do you think of that? Like, that is great. Do you know the history of culinary? I've made it. I've arrived. Yes, chef. Um, and so I think those are some of the strong patterns culturally as an industry that we've had. And then, you know, men get abused too in the kitchen. They're just not going to yeah. talk about it. And, and women haven't either because we want to keep our job. But now it's out. It's out. And we can't turn back. And so that's a good thing. I, I actually just finished an article for Mungies for the Vice Food Network about this topic. It's going to be on, it should be online on the 8th. Okay. Uh, I, I think it should be translated into English. So it's for the German network, but I think it goes internationally. So I did a lot of research. I mean, I had my thoughts before, but of course I also did research. And as you said, it's such a complex topic there's this like historical uh, background and development of what we have in the food industry now but also and i mean this may be more the situation in in uh, europe is that the whole educational system is totally is like so old school that not so many people in general want to become a classically trained chef anymore and like a lot of women also I see like in my personal network uh, maybe it's easier in, in Germany to start a business without being a classically trained chef or like in the field of plant-based cooking especially you know you don't go this like 
classic uh, way. So a lot of women have a complete different approach. And like, of course, one of the reasons is that they don't want to be part of the system in the first place. Um, but also I found out that, you know, the visit, if we talk about the visibility, of course, you're more visible if you run like a restaurant where you're the, the, the chef owner, instead of like um, owning a catering that might make easier for you to have kids or have a family or be more flexible with your working hours and all these, these things. Um, it's not that there is no women in the food industry, they're just not so visible. And um and as I, I always, uh, I'm always fighting for this visibility. That's I mentioned that the the guests of my podcasts are only women, um, and the podcast is like the the next step from the second book I wrote, which is called Vegan Queens, which features uh, female gastronomy businesses, like ten of them, um, because I wanted to make them more visible and also show that from my experience in my personal network. Um, most women tend to be more networking and to be more open about working together. And, you know, most chefs, when they write a cookbook, they put themselves, I mean, I'm on the cover as well, but, you know, they put themselves in the cover and, you know, like this uh, attitude, like I'm the best and so on. And I wanted to invite these women into my book to make them more visible. So I think, yeah, we, we have to uh, open the, yeah, as you said before, men are also um, victims of this, but some of them maybe also play along with the system because they want sure. to fit in. Mm -hmm. So they are, you know, silented. It's so uh, well said. <laughs> Both of you. <laughs> yeah. I think just to add on, um, ha having been in the industry since I was 16 years old, um, so I'm coming up at 18 years in food and beverage. Uh, so very often I have heard uh, people telling me, my boss is telling me, uh, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. And that's something that will really be ingrained in my brain as to when will ever, when will it ever be ready? When will anyone ever be ready? So how I train my staff, whether they're girls or boys who come through, um, I get them to be ready. I think I, I, I don't wait until they are ready. We try to push them to, you know, get all of the training that they require in order to get a raise, get a promotion, get to the next level so that they don't feel, I think we re really need to be forward thinking and get the next generation to, you know, adapt to the type of cooking that we do and the type of philosophies, the mentality of respecting each other in the kitchen, whether you're male or female, mm -hmm. speaking to each other with, um, you know, sincerity and genuine, you know, generosity. I think that's something that uh, we try to practice as much as possible. Yeah, and I think the restaurant space has been celebrated f and for its um, notorious abusive nature in general. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously women have had to face the worst of it. Um, I want to pick up on something that um, both Sophia and I think Peggy kind of mentioned. Uh, Sophia, you mentioned your podcast and I wouldn't call it a sexist podcast. And I think the reason for More that is, joke. I know, it's because... Um, People can turn that against me, you know. <laughs> the reason for that is the point that Peggy made earlier is the role that the media plays, mm. right? What you're doing with your podcast is controlling that message mm. now, which is the beauty mm. of um, this age of the internet where you can you can become the media yourself mm. um, and, and be that platform to spread certain ideas. But... 
when we were talking earlier about the state of plant-based food and uh, whether chefs don't, you know, whether chefs recognize the importance of uh, of choosing plant-based or at least going more plant-forward, you you brought up as well the fact that the media, to a certain extent, has a role to play here because they shape our stories, they shape the stories in our culture. To what extent what's happened with women in restaurants, especially the lack of women chefs getting recognition has to do with the media. I mean, I'm sure you all have read Amanda Cohen's amazing op-ed that she wrote in Esquire, a blistering article about the fact that the media only wants to talk about women when they are victims of uh, some sort of abuse or oppression, but otherwise is not interested in celebrating um, women chefs in general. And that's in general, forget plant-based or otherwise. Mm What are your thoughts on the media's role here, and and do you have any your own personal experiences dealing with the media at large? Since you've all had you know certain levels of success with your businesses, hmm. with the media, I think it was a few years ago. Uh, the biggest newspaper in Hong Kong did an interview on uh, gender uh, discriminations in the kitchens, and I was very clear about my message, as in I do not believe in victimizing ourselves uh, as women. I think what they were trying to gather were incidences and stories of what happened to you when you were once a line cook of some sort at which kitchen, uh, from by who. I don't believe in voicing the problems out. I believe that if there was a problem that I saw 16 years ago, I would have just solved it then and there. And so um, the... I think the media's role really is not just to focus so much on the negativity. It should be playing on, you know, our solution-oriented uh, topics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as vice president of Women Chefs and Restaurateurs (WCR), that's really brought us all here to, um, this week for the James Beard dinner. Everything I think about when I wake up is how we push the envelope for women. And we're celebrating our 25th year anniversary this year. So 1993, eight women came together because I feel like, I think often, what were they thinking? They're sitting around this table going, the glass ceiling, we've got to stop all this, you know, male dominancy, if you will. And then 25 years later, we're still experiencing it. But I'm in LA, so, you know, I can rattle off a dozen, 24 female chefs are just badass and and boss ladies and so when you're surrounded by it you kind of have to stop when I go through a city and you've got these great young chefs but they're not being heard so women chefs and restaurateurs everything we do every day is to push the envelope to advance women in culinary and, and restaurateurs and hospitality and mixologists and I think we have to show up Mm-hmm. We have to show up. I, I love Steve Martin's, you know, quote, be so good they can't ignore you. Mm. And when I get in tough situations, I start that mantra. And, and it so often gets me through. And, and someone's like, well, how did you get involved? I showed up. <laughs> I made a place at the table for myself because really, who's going to tell me? Yeah. I can't. And that, you know, that we haven't, like Peggy said, we can't wallow over spilt almond milk. we have to right we have to decide that we will create you know our own I mean you could go even into music and how Mm -hmm. people weren't getting labels to pay attention to them and you know until they started 
selling out of the back of their car. And I'm not saying selling food out of the back of our cars, <laughs> but I think we're at a time where there's a force hmm. with us that any woman can feel that she can do anything she wants in the culinary industry. And you brought up a great point, Sophia, you knew that if it's a restaurant and yes, great platform and we love that, but there are some great caterers. There are some great bloggers out there that aren't getting the love. So I think it's not just the women. I think in general, in culinary, yeah. we have to start mm -hmm. respecting other divisions and subdivisions of it and yeah. not just say, well, if you don't have a restaurant, you're not successful. You're not, you're not serious. You're <laughs> not a chef. Mm -hmm. On that point, yeah. <laughs> when people call themselves chefs when they're cooks, <laughs> there's that fine line. I won't go down that road. I was about to. I'm going to stop. <laughs> I, I will never call myself a chef. I wouldn't even call myself a cook. So it's fine. I, I think it can, you know, you put a lot of years, you put your love into it yeah. but I, I think there is that time that women can really um just come to the table and claim your space right I w yeah i want to give an example with with that uh, as well so what we did in berlin like like a, a year and a half ago um some friends of mine started it's called the feminist food club it's like a networking it's not as organized as the uh, wcr yet but it's more like an you know club kind of thing and at this point there's over 700 uh, members it's not only chefs it's restaurateurs but it's also women who work in like food pr who are food journalists so it's like an amazing networking group in itself it's a safe space we have a facebook community but we also uh, have monthly meetings where we do like topics on you know it can be on like talks on like coffee, booze, whatever, but also on, on, you know, critical topics for us that we want to talk about. And what we recently did, and I think that's so simple, but it can be done so easily. We made a list of all the women working in Berlin, in the food industry, in different fields to give that list to journalists, to conferences, to panel talks, where it's always like, ah, there's just no women we can invite that we can write about, you know, and we can say, okay, here's this list. You can look into that. We did the research for you and it helps to get a better quota at the end of the day, I guess. Just one quick point. Mm -hmm. Honest journalism is very cru crucial and Twitter is not journalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, you know, I love that the way all of you have been articulating these issues is so great. I mean, I feel like I've understood so much in just the last 15 minutes. But to add to that, I think what I'd, I like what you mentioned, Nina, about broadening what we think of those who are involved in the culinary space. It's, you know, it can't be so, maybe there has been this um, hierarchy in the past and maybe there still exists, of course it still exists, where... You know, the classically trained chefs sit at the top of the hierarchy. And if they run their own restaurants, it's even better. Um, and then you have um, you have the rest, kind of. And they all splinter into different, different groups. But, you know, kind of going back to the point we started off with, which is the power that plant-based food has, uh, especially one that is chef-driven, culinary-driven, taste-driven. Um, it has the power to not just change what people eat at restaurants, but you need that talent to then eventually make it into companies that are manufacturing um, packaged foods as well, because that's the only way we're going to change the world. Just having three 
uh, fine dining, plant-based restaurants is not going to change the world. Mm -hmm. And three even in one city is not going to change the world. So what are your thoughts on the broader culinary space in general and the, you know, the different opportunities that exist for someone who has certain talents with food um, that go beyond just running your own restaurant? I think you're tapping into more about investments in women and whether women actually Mm -hmm. are attract investors enough. Um, I mean, I'm not, I've never, I'm not, I've never been male, so I can't say there's a difference, but uh, I think you need to be surrounded by good business advisors and uh, to utilize your creativity to come up with a product that can be scalable um, and that you can't find in the market. Uh, Whether women are less likely to be funded, uh, I don't really see that, especially in Hong Kong, because it's such an easy place to start up in Hong Kong. Uh, But whether you can keep your company to be sustainable is a different, uh, different story. So I mean, we've been very lucky. Uh, most of our investors are regulars, uh, customers who've always been with us, you know, the, the past six years. And slowly, I actually see more and more larger companies, whether they're in estate property, uh, they've never had the know-hows in food and beverage coming into this arena to learn more about plant-based and opening a sustainable kind of channels into their companies. Um, I think it's great. There's just so much development going on everywhere. And um, as long as you have a good product and your you, your ethos is strong, um, you will at- attract investors that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I definitely think the more products that are on the shelf that mm-hmm. are of a good quality, because we can have junk food yeah. out there too. And I think that's a, a fine line. I was just in a store the other day and um, the cashier was asking me because they see me all the time I'm you know getting food or I'm going to cook for somebody and they're like oh yeah and I'm like yeah but you know don't some of the things on the shelf here (laughs) I I don't know that I would just have you eat them alone Mm -hmm. all the time that doesn't equate to veganism Mm -hmm. Um, you have to have a a well-rounded balanced diet and lifestyle in it but I come from a very strong manufacturing skincare Mm, yeah. background and um, working with a lot of leading companies and, and being in that marketing and development and you know it's either a, a jar of cream or a jar of jam I mean in the jam if it's got some good ingredients could be a mask on your face I can, I can show you how to get two out of one versus the other way <laughs> so good product good marketing mm-hmm. and getting it out to the consumer I think at the end of the day it's about food yeah it's about good food, and it's about good food for you. And the labels I'd like to see less of. Mm-hmm. You know, when I read something and I think it naturally would be vegan or plant-based, yeah. and then I have to go look at the ingredients because there's a lot of things in there that you wonder why, and I think the consumer doesn't get this, and there's something there that's not plant-based, and I'm like, what, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And now I have to read it. I have to check it out because I can't just be guaranteed that that would naturally not have anything I don't want to eat. Um, So, you know, ethics, I think, and true marketing and telling a good story Mm -hmm. 
I think it, it is the way to reach the masses. Right. Because not everybody can come to your restaurant. Not everybody can order out from your restaurant. You know, that's the same thing. I, as a skincare specialist, I could only do so many facials in a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to then take my brand, me yeah. the product, out to the masses, I have to put it in a bottle. Yeah. And that's where you see a lot of skincare specialists have marketed their name on a product. And I think chefs need to be thinking mm-hmm. in that mindset to really be sustainable and financially bring up their, you know, potential for being able to fund themselves. Yeah. It's a no-brainer to have a line extension. You're right. You know, Sophia, this is a space you've worked a lot in. You've been a consultant, I know, to some companies as well. Yeah. What I, are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, what I also wanted to add to this point is that I that I also, uh, I, I, I know it's to, to some extent it's wishful thinking, but I also see the responsibility of politics in that mm-hmm. a lot, you know. And uh, like, um, yeah, if we talk about how can we reach the masses there, it, we cannot only do it uh, you know like through marketing and through like doing our best work and like work with investors like like politicians have to start to have an interest in like helping people to change their you know eating habits and stuff in context of environmental problems you know it just has to become a topic and maybe it i'm i'm not a i'm not a specialist in like farming but maybe it can be to some extent done by giving people like positive you know um how do okay this is very hard to say in english it's not my mother language um i don't know like let's let's look at the milk industry you know and all the industrial farming stuff if we give people an approach to do more organic to Mm. do better you know and give them support for that kind of farming that could change something and not just give them money to go on. And lots of, of farmers are miserable these days with how they have to do their stuff. And I think that also needs a, a change, but that can only be done by governments. So yeah, but I completely forgot like the first part of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think that point yeah. was important. I think yeah. you're, you're saying the it's subsidies are going to all the wrong places yeah. while people who want to grow organic food are not getting the tax breaks or the help that they need from the government to, um, to make it cost effective for them. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, the biggest barrier restaurants, food businesses, farmers, and everyone faces um, is they may want to have good quality ingredients um, but it's way too expensive. And that cannot yeah. be solved right now until you solve all these 10 other problems. But, you know, it's it's a complicated space. My question to you, the other question mm. to you, was more about your experience using your skills as a chef to um, sort of consult with food companies. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I want to, you know, what's interesting is now as a chef, you can use your talent in so many different ways. Mm. You can branch out, you can... You can launch cookbooks, podcasts, media in some form, YouTube channels. You can um, open a restaurant, of course. Um, you can start a product line. Mm. Uh, or you can be a consultant. Or you can give your recipes out to food companies that needed to develop their yeah, own yeah. products. So yeah. what are your thoughts on that? I, I, as I said, I think there is already a lot of uh, things happening. I've, I've, I always go to, it's called Biofach. It's like the biggest fair I think worldwide on like organic food it's in in Nuremberg in Germany every year and it's just been a few weeks ago and you can see all these developments there there's like companies who work like very sustainable who have these thoughts who want to produce products for the mass market 
But there's also companies who just want to make money, of course. And you mm-hmm. do a, like all the plastic packaging with is like not sustainable. And because for me, sustainability is also such a big part of that of that lifestyle, you know. Yeah. So I always think of that as well. So it goes very. It's very yeah. There's there's a big separation between these two fields, and um, yeah, I don't know. As a I can only say. There's a lot of good stuff going on. There's some stuff going on that is more about money making. And, you know, people know if they put like the organic label on top of it or the vegan label, then they might sell more. So you have to always have like a closer look what you're actually consuming. Education is so key. Mm, yeah. yeah. Everything yeah, is yeah. education, right? If we could get a garden, even if it's in the window in every household mm. and someone has to tend. I mean, in school, we had to you yeah. know, sprout. Mm-hmm. And those sprouts were like your babies because you had to turn them and water them and drain them every day. And we took it quite, well, when I was in school, we took it quite seriously. <laughs> those are my sprouts, don't touch my babies. I think when we, the initiative has to get people back to the food. Mm-hmm. We're, yes. too, we're too disconnected from our food. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a, a chef hold up a, a vegetable to kids and they don't call it potato when they say french fries i'm going oh my gosh oh my gosh you know that's huge that's huge i mean people don't realize just how many vegetables and varieties of apples there are and varieties of tomatoes a variety of so many different vegetables you you know there's 365 days of it in a year three times a day with two snacks I could serve you for a whole year a different vegetable or fruit and never repeat it. Yeah. But then people want familiarity. So I like this. I want it again. <laughs> so we've got to be a little bit more creative and open to things. And I think that is a responsibility we get back to as chefs. And I think the three of us yeah. are doing it quite well. And obviously, I'm not afraid to <laughs> self promote but i don't say it if i don't think we're doing it and i I think that's what we're coming this week to do put you know heart and soul on the plate yeah and have people leave just like okay it's not about it was a plant-based dinner it's just about that food was good yeah (laughs) no that's feel good that's about that that's the best kind of feedback you could probably get for her for your cooking right so what's next for you individually and as a group, I know you're working together now on some interesting things, but individually you all have some really amazing careers going on. What's next? Start with uh, Peggy. Um, well, uh, maybe just add on. I think as chefs, we cannot uh, just focus on, you know, making food. Uh, we all have a responsibility. And you can't just be a chef who cooks the type of food that you want to cook anymore and expect to have, you know, Michelin stars and that's it. That's the end of your career. Uh, we all need to use our voice uh, to advocate for the causes. And you also cannot just leave the environment out of the topic, out of what you do, because food comes from the environment. So you have to be in instinctively connected to where the food comes from and i mean in asia right now we're talking a lot about food waste and uh, recycling and china recently just banned the import of recyclables and old trash from hong kong Mm. and i think that's a great idea because hong kong has been so spoiled for so many decades and just creating all of these waste 
um, and not having a system to treat it properly. Everything just gets thrown out to other countries to treat it. And I think it's a great wake-up call for all of us, whether we are in the recycling business, the food waste management business, chefs, how we throw our trash out, how we separate and segregate our trash, why we should you know, use a food waste digester to digest our food rather than throwing it into landfills. All of these are giving us a wake-up call. And I think it's in our duties as chefs to really start changing the system because mm. we can't just rely on one bin in the kitchens and expect that to disappear. Yeah. So what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, just this this upcoming year, there's a lot of consulting um, projects, uh, whether it's for large resorts uh, who are already in the wellness scene, but they really want to pick up on their offerings and food and beverage. Um, there's consulting for a school that's going to open up. Um, and I love, you know, the education part is something that I really want to be involved in, in, ter in terms of educating the next generation. So um I love teaching chefs, uh, young cooks, um, how to adopt way ways in, mm -hmm. you know, using the scraps of zucchini and creating crackers out of it. And, you know, just the practices, little habits that need to be shifted. Uh, so we're creating a curriculum for them. Um, and then uh, the pop-ups are ongoing. So we've got Melbourne Food and Wine Festival coming up and we're cooking with uh, Nick Stanton from Rambler. And uh, that's really exciting. We're gonna be on a panel with Chris Yang as well. Um, so he's the founder of Lucky Peach. I'm sure mm -hmm. you guys know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's really great to meet people with like-minded um, thoughts. And uh, we're also going to be consulting for a um, a gym so we're doing more uh high performance nutrient dense uh, grab and goes and an area that i have never been in because putting my food inside a box is just like i i can't even fathom <laughs> you know but it's such a lot learning process yeah. everything from you know how do you maintain the food in a certain temperature yeah. to where we source our package, how it looks, how it's marketed, like everything of that sort is very exciting for me. Um, and then we'll hopefully bring that across the globe. Yeah. Wow, exciting. <laughs> well, uh, I, I will just connect to the sustainability topic because mm -hmm. that, <laughs> yeah. that has become a big topic for me uh, since a while. And I'm hoping to start uh, writing my third book soon which will hopefully come out. I need out to start in, on my first <laughs> sometime, right? Uh, which will hopefully come out in 2019. And it's, um, yeah, it definitely has to do with this, like I call it like zero waste cooking topic. Oh, I've been doing exciting. workshops and, and cooking shows with that as well in the last year. And uh, luckily through this uh, work, I met two women and we are thinking about uh, opening a business together at mm. some point. It's, you know, it's still like, I'm, as I said, I'm the wandering chef right now, but I feel like it's about time at some point where I have a home. So that might happen, let's say in the next two years or so. Um, and apart from that, I'm, I'm doing a, a, a quite nice corporations this year. I'm going to do my own mustard because I have like a mustard history in my family. Like mm. I had some, my grand grandfather had a mustard company. Um, and, uh, and the other thing is like, um, chef's jackets for specially designed for like women fit, which is quite interesting. So there's like interesting stuff coming up and I'm also doing like, uh, workshops and cooking classes on the zero waste 
topic. And, and also the, the next season of the podcast is coming. Oh, wow, you're busy. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exciting. Well, I'm incoming president of WCR Women's Yay! Chefs and Restaurateurs. <laughs> president uh, in, in, in action. Definitely, uh, it will take place in April. Are you the first plant-based um, president? I believe so. Okay. Yay! I don't know what they're getting into. Right? But, you know, and we're doing a dinner Thursday night at the James Beard House. And they told me, and, and very excited about it, we're the second plant-based vegan dinner in the history of James Beard on International Women's Day during Women's History Month mm -hmm. with six women in the kitchen. Um, well, you got some men in there, so we love men. We're not, we're not discriminating. Don't do the dirty work. <laughs> you said it, Jeffrey. Um, I just came back from Miami, consulting gig. Again, big developer looking at bringing you know, plant-based in. And I know the responsibility that we've been speaking about that the chef has, but the consumer will demand. Yeah. And I think that is really a wake-up call to all of us, whether it's look at the gluten movement or gluten-free, I should say. Yeah. You know, and Italy is one of the largest areas. You'd be surprised with all the pasta, but <laughs> they have a whole gluten conference and, and trade show, <laughs> all gluten products. So I was like, wow, I don't want to get with it. Um, I have a, a trip to Saudi. Oh, interesting. That's going to be very interesting, and it's plant-based uh -huh. interest. So, yeah, and I, I have a five, seven-year plan. I, I really <laughs> plan to uh, bring people in in a wellness center environment and go out in the garden and pick your food and come back and cook it and then sit down together and have a meal. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's so exciting. Um, and if you look ahead, say, you know, 30 years from now, what is your vision of that perfect world? If all this work leads to all the good things that we hope it leads to, what do each of you want to see in the year 2050? Can I throw something in before we get to that sure. last bit? Because I really wanted to thank Nina again for this amazing um, invitation to this mm. dinner. And I think yes, this is such a great thing. And when I first got the email, I was like, yeah, I don't know. This is like a spam kind of because I mean, I live in Berlin. I was not expected to be invited to cook in New York. So um, and what we are doing there, I'm so I mean, of course, it's amazing that we do it in this location. But only the fact that we can cook together is already so yeah. amazing for me. And yeah, I just wanted to thank you again. for that. And We do have three other chefs that yes. are cooking in their kitchens right now mm. and flying in and you know, it's how women do it. We, we get the job done. <laughs> Multitask. <laughs> and we figure it out, even if we think I'm crazy. But we, we figure it out, and I think we have fun doing it. And, and really, when our president, current president of Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, Kim Bartman, said to me, I'd, I'd like you to steer this, and I want it to be vegetarian, I went vegan. <laughs> I said, sure. But, you know, if you read the history again, vegan came out of vegetarian, so I'm just going to birth that baby. Yeah. And I said, all right, I'm going to find the uh, most leading, out there, forward-thinking women. And I stayed up at night and I Googled. Oh, wow. And I can't tell you how many women I came across. And I knew when I sent the email, they were going to go, is this fair? <laughs> and I'm just waiting for a response and then I'm hitting it again. This is real. I'm real. Look me up. I'm here. My picture, yeah. my ID, my passport. I'm serious. This is not a hoax. Don't put money in my bank account. I'm not asking for any of that. 
the night that I got the email, I was actually cooking for Lewis Hamilton. Oh, <laughs> wow. And I was screaming in the kitchen. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> that was amazing. So, yeah. I, you if know, this is any indication I, of what's to come, can I just add? I was in Vienna on like a holiday a weekend with my boyfriend, and I woke up hungover after party night. And I was like, what's this? I'm going back to sleep. This yeah. like. <laughs> And I, yeah, yeah, you called me and I was like, for real, for real. Yeah. And you're like, I'm on the holiday. I was like, yeah, that's okay. But I need your attention right now. Hear what I'm saying. Yeah. And that happened with all five of the women, except one that I do know that is on our board. And, you know, Amanda Cohen is on our board. She's our treasurer of WCR. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah, if I want something... You show up and get it done. I show up and get it done. <laughs> because I believe actions are a lot louder than any words, you know? Yeah. If your actions speak so loud, I can't hear a thing you're saying kind of thought. So yeah. show up, do it. And yeah, so 2030, you said? Oh, let's go back to... Um... <laughs> or 2050. So if you look ahead at the year 2050, what kind of uh, food system, what kind of world do you want to see then? Definitely eliminate all plastics. Um, so I hope that there will be some system in how we treat our trash. Mm -hmm. No longer is it all thrown into a landfill and, you know, imagine that it's not there anymore. Yeah. Uh, no more factory farming. That was what got me into, you know, really doing the research. And I don't mm -hmm. think that, I, I mean, every single person, whether you're, you know, if head to what do you call head to tail oh, yeah head to tail yeah. chef or no one would support factory farming yeah. so in our industry as chefs we would never support it um it's only the guys who want to make the money mm -hmm. um that's what they do so um that those two and then possibly at least 50 percent of our world population will go vegan <laughs> if not vegetarian yeah yeah, I can only I can only agree to everything uh, Peggy said, and uh, yeah, I also think we just have to we just have to get more and more organized to um, in this connection. I also want to uh, mention Provet, which is like the German biggest German organization for like vegans, vegetarians. They support me on this trip as well, and you know, organizations like that can mm -hmm. can help people so much to get started as well. Um, but also, yeah, like every kind of network or every kind of, yeah, I just feel that, you know, some people just need like a little help to begin with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have the impressions growing up of the Jetsons hmm. and you take that top off and there's a peel, but it tastes like, you know, the vision of the not steak, but it was a steak that came up. <laughs> and then I got impressed when I went snuck to the movies and saw Soylent Green that, put such an impression on me, the year 2000, you know, yeah. seemed like in New York, green biscuit coming out of this dumpster from the sea. I will not eat a green biscuit today <laughs> unless I make it. So, yeah, you know, we're talking foodways, but we need to talk waterways in a big way. And we mm -hmm. need to realize what's happening with water. Because mm -hmm. if we don't have water to, you know feed the soil, we're not going to have plants, and we're not going to have water to drink in a minute. So I think clean water for everyone, mm -hmm. food for everyone. There's not a reason a kid should go to bed hungry at night, nor a human. Mm -hmm. 
and you know stop the politics of where food can go and how it can be given to someone when it's okay to be given after restaurants. So I would like to see initiatives where food is going to not be wasted and thrown out. We're going to get our food better so it's nourishing people and giving us, you know, um, food is medicine. Mm -hmm. Food heals. Mm -hmm. and, and so year 2050, Nina for president. <laughs> Why yeah. wait that long? Don't wait. Don't wait that long. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. Thank this you, has Nina. been enlightening. Thank you, Sophia and Peggy. Thank I am you. so happy we got the chance to do this today. Yes. Can I do a shout out for Chef Carrie, <laughs> Chef? Okay. Yeah, yeah, please. Shout outs to anyone. Uh, Cara, that are going to be with us in the team. Yes. And the right. WCR women so that are going to be in the house. <laughs> and James Beard, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nils Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.